Let's put our hands in our eyes, say the prayer we pray every week. Say, Holy Spirit, give me 4D vision that I might know the heights, the lengths, the breadth, and the width of your word. Fill me with your knowledge and with my place in the kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So today, topic is the rise and fall of Lucifer, part one, prophet, priest, and king. Satan's greatest deception is not whether God's real or not. His greatest deception is whether he's real or not. And if he can get you to believe he's just a myth, mythological creature or something from the boogeyman from the past, then you never take spirituality serious and you'll never really look into what he's doing on the earth. But Satan is alive and real. In fact, there is a cosmic battle that's been waging on for many millennia for the souls of men between the forces of good represented by the Godhead and the good and faith, faithful angelic beings and the forces of evil represented by Satan and his fallen host. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everyone, but he can devour as many that are ignorant and who aren't sober, meaning of a bright mind, and vigilant, ready for his attacks. And so he's like a roaring lion. Notice the scripture doesn't talk about him as a mythological creature. doesn't talk about him as, you know, you know some type of um, thing that doesn't exist. But the Bible speaks of him as a real person. He walks as a roaring lion. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn about our opposer, formerly called Lucifer, now called Satan. And so what I want to do in this series is to give you some of those revelations, not just for knowledge sake, but so that you'll understand the battle that's being waged and its prophetic significance, a great delusion that's about to come upon the whole world. And yea, it's already begun. And in the midst, I'm going to give you some keys on how you can overcome this angelic being because he is a formidable foe. And it'd be wrong for you to think that he's someone you can easily defeat. Because he's been around for thousands, maybe millions of years, and he's been practicing on mankind, so he's way ahead of you in, in regards to the battle. Amen? That's why we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's start from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Can we play the audio? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now how do you like that for an introduction? That's the way the scriptures should be read, amen? When we look at the first verses in the Bible, we already have controversy. And there's so much in it. Let's look at this. In the beginning, in the Hebrew, it's the word resheth. The word resheth means in the dateless past. That's fascinating. In other words, before time was, in the dateless past. And then the next word in the Hebrew, it says Elohim. And our Bible says God. That's where the controversy begins. The word Elohim means the gods. 
Whenever you see an I am, that means plural. And so there we have a controversy because it says in the beginning, the gods. But here's what's interesting about the author's use of this word. It's what we call in linguistics a uniplural. It's a plural name with a singular verb and meaning. In other words, even though it's a plural, the, the gods, it uses a singular verb, which you know you're supposed to match. The reason why, because it's introducing you to the uniqueness that the God we serve is a Godhead. He's three persons in one, which we traditionally call the, what? Trinity. So in the beginning, I mean, right at the beginning, it's already introducing you that God is a unique being. That he's a triune being. Amen? He's three, but what? One. Amen? So our God, at the beginning of the scripture, shows us that he's a united God. And it's written in Deuteronomy 6.4 in his introduction to Moses, God's introduction to Moses. Notice what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. Let's look at it in Hebrew. The Hebrew word one is ekod. It is translated one Lord. Now, this same word ekod is used in Genesis 1-5 for the word first or one day in connection to evening and morning. Let's look at it in Genesis 1-5. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the ekod are the first day. Now, this even brings more revelation. How many of you know that the evening is not the morning and the morning's not the evening, right? But it's all one day. That's the same definition given about God. The Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Holy Ghost, but it's one God. Now, it goes beyond our understanding, but immediately we're brought into the controversy that there's a Godhead. Three but one. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God. But he manifests as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Make sense? Amen. The next Hebrew word is created, but the word used in Hebrew is called bara, B-A-R-A. Write this down because it's very unique. The word bara means to create out of nothing. He created out of nothing. Why is it so fascinating? Because I'm going to give you some very controversial statements. And in part of the reason why I'm going to give you some controversial statements is because later on the verses for creation, it uses a different word. It will not use the word bara, but it will use the word asa, which means to take something already there and make. But in the first verse, we find a word that's very unusual, bara, which means he made the world out of what? Completely nothing. How many know that makes God awesome? Amen. So in the beginning, God created the heaven. And in Hebrew, it's shemian. Say shemian. Again, notice the I-N. Whenever you see an I-N in Hebrew, that means it's pearl. So in the beginning, the gods created the heavens. How many know that there's more than one heaven? So we're going to break down that later on in a sermon about the heavens. There's more than one heaven. And the, again, there's so much in this one verse, so much doctrine. And so in this first three verses of Genesis, which we just heard, we find the Trinity and you even see it in the first three verses. Look at this. In the beginning, God, and it's the word Elohim. So here we see God, the father. Notice in verse 2, it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon. So we now see the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. So in these first three verses, it's breaking down the Godhead. And then the third verse is interesting. It says, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And that light is the, third, or is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. How do we know this? Because the Apostle John, when he breaks down Genesis 1 in John 1, he tells us this. Let's go to John 1. In fact, let's hear it. Let's go ahead and hear it being played. In the beginning was the Word. 
the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was at the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John starts his book the same way Revelation does, but he reveals who the light is. He says the light was life that shined in the darkness and it comprehended not. And then he goes on to say that the light or the life is none other than the word. Psalm 119, 130 says the entrance of thy words giveth what? Light. And sure enough, when God said, let there be, light appeared. The word that brought light in this, in Genesis chapter one and also in John chapter one is none other than Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Why? Verse 14 says it. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So we see that in the beginning there was light. John tells us that light was the word of God and that word of God became flesh. Amen. So it's fascinating when John talks about Genesis 1-1 in his letter, he actually uses another name for light. He uses the term word. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. It's a reference to Genesis 1, all the way through 3. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? One. Again, notice, one. We don't serve three gods. One God. He's unique. But again, so when you see the light, let there be light, that's actually a manifestation of who? Jesus. Another name for it is the word. And the word and the light was one. Amen? So if we go back, let's quote Genesis 1-1 together. Ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Amen? It's interesting because science expresses the universe in five terms. It uses the word time, power, motion, space, and substance. Isn't that amazing that in that first verse, again, you have all those five terms? Notice time in the beginning. Power, God, motion, created, space, the heavens, substance, and the earth. So here you have the five terms that express the world and its formation of the universe right in Genesis 1.1. Amen. And because this is a teaching on the rise and fall of Lucifer, you need to understand his origin. Angels, which he used to be, were created by Jesus, the second person in Trinity, God Almighty. Let's go to Job chapter 30, verse 4 through 7, and get some revelation on the angels' beginning. Let's play that. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The word morning stars and sons of God are terms for the angels. And it says when the earth was created, they all shouted for joy. So we see at the beginning, they were all on one side. They were glorifying God at the creation of the earth. Let's look at Psalms 148, verses 2 through 5. Let's play that. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. 
praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you, waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So he says, angels praise him. Why? Because God commanded and they were created. Even the angels were the creation of his word. Amen. And then Paul, the apostle in the book of Colossians, tells us specifically who created him. In the context, he's speaking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And he says in verse 16 of chapter one, for by him, who's him? Jesus, were all things created that are heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible. And now he's going to mention all the different angelic beings, thrones, dominions, our principalities, our powers. All things were created by him and for him. Isn't that fascinating? So according to the Bible, all the angels were created by the second person of the Trinity. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, there's a conversation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Father looks at the Son and says, in the beginning, all things are the working of your hands. So it was Jesus that, if you will, did the hands-on work that created the angels. And some of you may be confused by this because some of you, if you're new to Christianity, well, I thought Jesus was born in Bethlehem and, um, you know, 1 AD or 4 BC, depends on what what date you pick. But you need to understand the scripture. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child Jesus was born, but the son was given because the son was from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been here. He was in the beginning creating the angels, but he was born in time as a baby so that we could have salvation. Amen. Isn't that powerful? So now what I'm going to do is introduce you to something controversial, but I'm the one preaching. Amen. So this is great. You do not have to believe everything I believe, but I do want to give you a very good understanding, at least from my understanding, after over 30 plus years of studying the Bible, literally night and day, I'm a geek. That's all I do. Ask my wife and there's no healing for me because I can't seem to stop. Amen. But I want to introduce you to the gap theory. Write that down. Gap theory. The gap theory basically says that Genesis 1-1 is creation. Genesis 2, or Genesis 1-2, all the way to chapter 2, verse 25, is recreation. In other words, something happened in between verse 1 and verse 2, and I'm a proponent of that, and I believe that, and I'm about to show you why I believe in the gap theory. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. When you closely analyze verse 1 and verse 2, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is a complete opposite picture of Genesis 1-1. In Genesis 1-1, we have perfection. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Quote, done. It's a finished work. It's beautiful. There's nothing more to add. And then all of a sudden, you go from perfection to destruction. Genesis 1-2 says, and the earth was without form and void. Now, the Hebrew word for without form, you might want to write this down, is the Hebrew word tohu. It literally means a waste or desolation. So you go from, in the being God created the heavens and earth, and now verse 2, and the earth is a desolation. Now, why is this fascinating? Because in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, the prophet Isaiah specifically says that God did not create the earth as a tohu, that that had nothing to do with him. Here we go, Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. 
That word is tohu in Greek, the same in, in Hebrew, the same word used in, in Genesis 1.1. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Notice, he formed it to be inhabited. He didn't form a tohu, a wasteland. It literally means wasteland. So you have to, and by the way, let me give you one more word that will really help you here. Are you ready? That word where it says was is the Hebrew word haya. Say haya. It's H-Y-E-H. It literally translated became. King James translators put was. Or, let, me, let me see. What does it say right here? Yeah, and the earth was. The, the actual tense of the verb, and the earth became. So even in the original Hebrew manuscripts, it tells you the earth what? Became a wasteland. It became a tohu. And then Isaiah the prophet says that's not how God created it, though. So you have to. Oh, let me give you one more word. This is interesting. The Hebrew word for void, where it says, and it was um, void, is the Hebrew word bohu. Say bohu. Sounds like tohu. Huh? Sounds like cousins or something. Bohu means empty and ruined. So the earth became empty and ruined. It became a desolate wasteland and empty and ruined. So here you have this perfection in verse 1. and verse 2, you have destruction. You have to ask yourself, what happened in between verse 1 and verse 2? They're a complete opposite picture. What event could have taken place that would bring the devastation to the world between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1? After 30 plus years of investigating the scriptures, I've come to the conclusion that it was Lucifer's angelic rebellion that brought destruction to the planet in between verse 1 and verse 2. And for the next 16 weeks, I'm going to be teaching you on this with its prophetic application, showing you what whatever happened in the past, the Bible says will happen again, and also showing you how to win the battle. Because if you notice, saints, it's getting worse. This world is getting crazy. And if you do not have the strategic plan and how to overcome the enemy, which I'm going to give you, you're going to struggle. So don't miss a week. And plus, if you miss a week, when I say something like five weeks from now, you're going to say, he's crazy, because you didn't hear any of the foundation. You know what I mean? You need to hear the whole thing. And I'm going to take my time in this. First, you need to understand Satan, when he was an angel named Lucifer, he had one of the highest positions in heaven. And today, that's what I want to reveal to you, his position before he fell. He was involved, Lucifer, in the pre-Adamic. When I say pre-Adamic, that means before Adam, before man. He was involved in the pre-Adamic destruction of this earth. And his actions is what caused the judgment on the earth in between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. Proof, let's start, the, let's, let's begin. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. Can we hear that scripture? Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. 
until iniquity was found in you. That is some heavy scripture right there. The Bible says that Lucifer, when he was created, was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In fact, the scripture literally says, quote, thou sillest up the sum. That is an old way of saying he was a ten. He filled up the sum. He was the total number of perfection and beauty. The word perfect is the Hebrew word kaliel. It's translated complete, but I find it interesting that in Judges 20, verse 40, the word is translated the flame. So that word perfect can be translated the flame, and I find that interesting because the Bible describes his angels as a flame of fire. And a lot of times these references are made to Lucifer's past, if you will, sometimes even his present. Now, what's even more fascinating, this Ezekiel 28 passage is absolutely amazing because it reveals as some of the most precious stones known to man were his covering. In verse 13, it talks about, look at this. It's, it's just amazing what it says. The sardas, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. Now, why is this interesting? Because if you go to Exodus 28, 15 through 21, you'll find that these are the most precious stones known to man. And these same stones that Lucifer wore on his garments are the exact same one that Israel's high priest wore on his breastplate. It gives you a hint of what he was doing before his fall, that he's wearing the exact same jewels on his garments that the high priest of Israel. And we'll come back to that in a minute. And what's even more fascinating that he wore this royal wardrobe. It's and, and, you know, you'll find out later he's a musician and he looks like, you know, musicians are flashy. I mean, he looks like, you know, remember Michael Jackson will come out with all these emeralds on his thing and Liberace. We play. Guess what? You, Lucifer was the first. Come on, talk to me. On his royal wardrobe, he had all these, I mean, diamonds, sapphires. And notice what it says in Ezekiel 20, 13. Thou has been in Eden. Now, that is totally bizarre because it says you were dressed in the finest apparel in the Garden of Eden. Why is that interesting? Because when we read the Garden of Eden in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Satan has become a snake. Lucifer is now a snake. He's a serpent. And Adam and Eve are in the garden. So this is an Eden even in the dateless past. And it gives you interest. I want you to take note that when he creates man, puts him in Eden, but way before, when in the dateless past, when he created his best angel, he also put him in a garden of what? Interesting, Eden. He says, you were in the garden of Eden, and every precious stone was your covering. Here's another th interesting thing that will blow your mind, and, is that music instruments were built right in him. Music was being played as he was being created. Ezekiel 28, 13, the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. In other words, he is a living, breathing orchestra. When he was created, when he would begin to speak orchestrations and music came out of his mouth. And I got to tell you, saints, the Bible clearly tells us that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He don't take away your gifts and your callings. So I have a question for you. Do you think Lucifer, or now in a say today, has lost his gift of music? 
No, even now, when he opens his mouth, orchestrations that would amaze you beyond the works of Beethoven and Mozart, he's still capable of. You're saying, what does it have to do with us? You need to know that because he's still, now he's using that same gift for his own self and he's bringing a whole generation down with him. That's the application of today's teaching as you learn this. It's one of the reasons, this reason of, of him being a living, breathing orchestra that we associate Lucifer with being a worship leader. He used to be a worship leader. The name Lucifer comes from the root Hebrew word halah, which means to praise. His name means to celebrate. It means to sing. So we understand that he was in charge of receiving the praise on earth and then he'd give it to God in heaven. That was his job. Praise used to literally go through him. All praise before it went to God went through him. That's why when you say the word hallelujah, come on, someone say hallelujah. Every time you say hallelujah, you're slapping the devil in the face. Because you, in that word, your state and worship no longer goes to him, but straight to God. Because that last part, Yah, is the Hebrew name for Yahweh, our Yehovah. And Psalm 684, sing unto him, sing praises to his name, extol him that writeth upon the heavens by his name, Yah. So when you say hallelujah, you're saying celebration straight to God. And it's one of the few words that's international. No matter what language you speak, I find it interesting that everyone says to celebrate God, hallelujah. It's an expression and a reminder Satan of the position he lost because the praise doesn't go through you no more. It goes to, remember, his name literally meant to celebrate. And now we go hallelujah. He's part of the name, yah, to God. That's heavy. Every time you say that, you mm. I was going to use a different word, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Amen. I'll say that for the youth or something. Satan still uses his gift of music to entrap men. In fact, many philosophers have studied music and thousands of years even before we were born, all the philosophers realized that music is actually a reflection of our culture. Plato said this, when modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state change with them. Plato noticed that you can tell a society by the music they play and that when their society changes, their music changes. Saints, has not our music changed? We've lost all form of respect with older people, with presidents, with look in your face, but it's nasty. But I remember a time, I'm, and I'm going to add this, when George Michael came out with I Want Your Sex, they couldn't play that till after seven. Do y'all remember that, 1988? And remember when Olivia Newton-John in, in 83 came out with um, Let's Get Physical? She had to change the video because people thought she was talking about sex. She was, but she went and put on a, a workout uniform because Americans cried out. Where's America today? Music has changed, and our society has changed with it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm going to tell you, if that's not proof that the devil's real, let's continue. Now, here's what's interesting, because America was founded by the pilgrims and other people, but before them were the Native Americans, and many of them were savage. I know that's not popular to say anymore, but the last Mount Indians lived right across Fort Lincoln in East St. Louis. Sketches by the priests and the trappers warned they will kill you if you get near them. Here's what's interesting. 
that as the United States became a Christian nation, we have slowly regressed almost back to the Native American days. Let me explain to you. Listen to how they were described, and it was associated with their music. They were described by the priest as, talking about these mound Indians, they wear little clothing. Hmm. They tattooed all over their bodies. They had earrings on their eyelids, their genitals, their ears, and their nose. Does that not sound like America youth today? And here's the quote. They were fond of the heavy beat and the rapping sound. The heavy beat, isn't that what's busting through all? I mean, you can't even drive without hearing that beat. We call it hip hop. It's taken over the culture. And with its horrible lyrics, sexualism, it's invaded our culture. What is my point? We Christians try to act like music has nothing to do with your Christianity. Vladimir Lenin, co-founder of communism and expert in subversion and revolution, stated this. One quick way to destroy a society is through its music. Many of today's youth have headphones glue, glued to their head, blasting ungodly and perverse music 24-7. And then we Christians wonder why they are so rebellious. They refuse to go to church or read their Bible. They're literally being indoctrinated 24-7. Then we wonder why they don't want them to do with God. Aristotle said, music has the power to form character. So much that he believed and he asked the state, we should outlaw certain forms of music. If not, we'll lose the whole youth. This was 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, before Jesus. Let's watch a little video about today's music. Tragically, year after year, the Grammys and other musical award shows are becoming more and more of a love fest for Satan. In 2015, Katy Perry, ACDC, Madonna, and others were used to transform the 2015 Grammys into a place of blatant devil worship. Sadly, millions of people who are spiritually blind to the blatant devil worship that is taking place won't even see it even though it's taking place before our very eyes. At the 2012 Grammys, Nicki Minaj had a mock exorcism performed on her and later claimed that she did it to prove that the demon that possesses her, which she claims is sexually perverted and calls Roman, is too powerful to be cast out. At the 2014 Grammys, Katy Perry performed Dark Horse with a performance of what appeared to be a witch's Sabbath with Satan and demons glorifying her. You can see more detail on that with Katy Perry admitting and singing about selling her soul to Satan in our new viral video entitled Katy Perry, The Super Bowl and Satan. Incredibly, at the 2014 VMAs, the stage was actually set up in the form of 666, the biblical number of the Antichrist with the performers climbing up one of the sixes to get on stage to perform. At the 2015 Grammys, the music industry went beyond the 666 stage set, Katy Perry's Witches' Sabbath, and showing Satan's power through impotent exorcisms, to even more straight-up, in-your-face devil worship. Incredibly, Madonna came out with all kinds of devil-horned demons appearing to worship her as she sang her song, Living for Love. She went so far as to use mock Christian imagery with a choir singing in the background while she sang about being born again and on my knees in the dark and then like Satan himself about falling from heaven as she's depicted as falling from heaven on the Grammy stage. She or the demon channeling her now appears to be living for the love it can get from its worshipful fans. Not to be outdone in devil worship, ACDC sang their ode to Satan, Highway to Hell. 
Before millions of people in what is supposed to be family entertainment, they sang I'm on a highway to hell and about selling their souls to Satan for fame and success when they sang Hey Satan paid my dues playing in a rockin' band. Of course, the song goes on to state I'm going down, all the way down, I'm on a highway to hell. Katie, who dressed in white when she sang By the Grace of God, caused a bit of cognitive dissonance when she showed her true colors and joined in the devil worship. Perry, along with many others, sported her glow-in-the-dark devil horns and even made the devil horn symbol with both of her hands as she sang along with ACDC about how she too is on a highway to hell. Katy Perry even went so far as to falsely claim that God spoke to her before the Super Bowl and that he supposedly said to her, you got this and I got you. I was praying and I got a word from God and he says, um, you got this and I got you. But God would not contradict himself and encourage Katy Perry to sing about kissing a girl and lesbian experimentation, behavior that she gave mass promotion to at the Super Bowl, behavior that God lovingly warns against in the biblical book of Romans chapter 1. Katy Perry has already admitted that she is not following the biblical God of creation, and many of her songs and performances obviously glorify the God of this world, Satan. Perry made it clear when doing an interview with Marie Claire magazine when she said, quote, I'm not a Christian, end quote. She also said in the same interview that she is now following the teachings of the occultist Eckhart Tolle and Eastern mysticism, an occult technique used to open people up to the spirit world. And you mean to tell me Satan is not alive and well? Why are these musicians so infatuated with Satan and witchcraft and occult ceremonies that they're performing live at the Grammys consistently? Because... You know what's interesting? When I was a young kid, you had to worry about Iron Maiden. You had to worry about AC. I can't believe they're still alive. Come on, talk to me. Now it's the straight-up pop music. Say, I mean, you had to go to the extreme forms. Now it's the straight-up radio music that's totally demonic, satanic, dedicated to ritual and sexual abuse. And then you, Christian, are so ignorant because you think it's not damaging your child. And they are playing this 24-7 in their head. And then you wonder why. Remember, Aristotle has the power to form character. Plato said it this way. Music and rhythm find their way into the secret places of the soul. Look at what Plato said. I believe he is talking about Christians in his works, lost works. Through foolishness, they deceived themselves into thinking that there was no right or wrong in music. Sound like Christians today. That it was to be judged good or bad by the pleasure it gave. As it was, the criterion was not music, but a reputation for promiscuous cleverness and a spirit of law-breaking. Oh, my God. Are you? It sounds like he's talking to Christians today. Oh, there's nothing wrong with music. Oh, you're just being too holy. You're being too fanatical. And you know why they're doing that, that um, witchcraft ritual and she's acting like Satan falling from heaven? And they have the choir. Singing in the background? Because that's the truth. A lot of you are singing in the background and the Satan's just making a mockery out of you because the church is singing their songs. And he's making a mockery out of us at the ground. You see, the church leads in our songs too. You got to remember, he's such an accuser of the brethren. He's mocking the church. Having them red robes singing satanic songs in a choir fashion. Because that is so real. Many of you probably listen to that same garbage on the way home right now. And... You know, you may not want to hear this, but this is why we're teaching. This is why so many battles are lost in the church, because we compromise and we just, oh, that's just too spiritual. That's just taking it too far. No, we haven't taken it far enough because we've lost enough youth. We've lost enough you. Amen. Let me give you the purpose of music. I'm a musician. I play almost 10 instruments. So I understand this more than most people. 
The purpose of music is to cause a person or thing to yield to something or someone. You won't find this in the book. I came up with this definition 20 years ago as a musician. The whole purpose of music is to cause you to yield to something. Why do you think we start with praise and worship? Because we want you to yield to who? God. Why do you think at the games and they're, they're losing, they're not doing well, all of a sudden you hear this organ, dun, 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 dun. Dun 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 Come on. And you're all screaming, you're like, ah, where'd that come from? That's what they want. They want you to yield to the enthusiasm to inspire people, right? That means there ain't a player alive. I'm talking about like, you know, a player. You know, a player from another Himalaya or whatever you want to call it. There's not one of them who don't have their own little secret music. That they play the moment they want to, let's get it on. Every player knows because music causes you to yield. You might say, no, but if I got this song on, I got, ooh, you can't resist me now, baby. Come on. Let me tell you, I went to a, 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 a saint's house one day. And I saw they had Marvin Gaye. And they had these songs. I go, And this girl was like a prayer warrior. And I said, girl, what do you do with Marvin Gaye? Let's get it on in your house. What's that there? Joseph, I'm sorry but I'm not going to be making love to Jehovah Jireh. I laugh so hard. I go, keep on with your Marvin Gaye. Gotcha. Why? Even the saints know that a certain style of music causes you to what? Yield. My point is this. If you know that and you're listening to music that's not dedicated to God, what is it trying to cause you to yield to you? Because it's trying to get you to yield to something are you following me? Let me show. This is so interesting. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, Elisha, the prophet, needed to give King Jehoshaphat a prophetic word. But he couldn't because the other king that was before him was such a heathen, it was literally blocking the flow of God. And Elijah says, oh, I know what I can do. Look at verse 15. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Elisha, he even told the king, you are so evil, I can't get a word from God. Bring a musician. And the musician started playing. And then he says, thus saith the Lord. Come on, saints. The power of music, it gives you the ability to even yield to the spirit of God. And to get a word when no one else can get that word. And Satan has not lost his ability. And this is what I want to remind you today. The application for today is that he uses music. He's a living, living, breathing orchestra. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, very interesting, is God shows us a picture of the future. Why? There's this idol that's built, 666 cubits, an idol made of gold of Nebuchadnezzar. And he commands the whole nation to bow and to worship that idol. And it's a prophetic picture in the past when the Antichrist puts a hologram image in the temple, remember? Causes every nation to buy. Our, they can't buy ourselves without the number 666, right? This is in the future. But this is in the past. Let's listen to it because I want you to see how did Satan get a whole nation to bow to this golden idol, that 666? Listen. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, 
lyre and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So how did King Nebuchadnezzar through Satan get everyone to bow to this idol? It's here that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you will bow. Notice he got a whole nation to bow through what? Music. And Satan's getting a whole nation now to bow through music. You need to wake up and smell the coffee. This is serious business. The stuff I'm teaching, because as Christians, we keep putting our heads in the sand and we act like it's not hurting nobody. And that's why we're dumb. No wonder why he calls us sheep. Did you know sheep are like the dumbest creatures in the earth? Bam, bam, that's all they do. Ellen G. White, though I don't agree with everything she says, let me quote one thing I think she did get right. Music is made one of Satan's most attractive agencies to ensnare, ensnare souls. But when turned to a good account, it is a blessing. When abused, it leads the unconsecrated to pride, vanity, and folly. I want to continue on looking at Lucifer's high position so that you can understand it's, it's absolutely amazing. Lucifer, write this down, was a prophet. Before his fall, he was a prophet. In Ezekiel 20, verse 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou was walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, why do we say he's an, a prophet? Because the anointing was closely associated with the prophets in the Old Testament. First Chronicles 16.22, it says, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So here we find that Lucifer, before his fall, had a prophetic office. He actually was a prophet. And the Bible even calls him that. I'll show it to you. Lucifer in the book of Revelation is described as an angel who deceived one third of the angels by his tail. T-A-I-L. Look at this. Revelation 12.4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast into earth. Now, why is it interesting? Because in Isaiah 9, 15, it describes his tale. It says this, the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tale. So it even calls Lucifer a what? Prophet. But he's a false prophet because his gift has changed. But he's still very much in divination. How many people look to astrology? How many people go to witches and warlocks? And what's the purpose? To get the future. Why do people read those weird articles in Globe and Inquire where it shows you? Why? Satan is still into trying to tell the future because he does have a prophetic gift and it has not been robbed from him. Did you know a lot of times when you read these articles, America's going to suffer this, America, you notice none of it's good because that's Satan's prophetic plan for the universe. But we can counteract it with the word of the Lord, the prophecy that edifies, that brings exhortation, that brings edification. Satan is doom and gloom. God is hope and glory. I always get weary when I hear someone always talking, this is going to happen, because that sounds like the devil. Come on, talk to me. The devil is the prophet who is the father of lies, according to John 8, 44. And here's something that's interesting. Go to 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Satan being the chief false prophet. But notice behind every false prophet is a spirit. A demonic spirit. You need to understand that you are in spiritual warfare. And some of these people want to tell you their future. 
there's a spirit behind it. And it says, test the spirit. Not everyone that says they're of God is of God. Some of them are straight from hell. It says that he was upon the holy mountain. This is incredible because David, when he talked about his kingdom, he called it his holy mountain. So Lucifer was a part of the government of God. He was high in the government. In fact, the holy mountain is actually Mount Zion, God's dwelling place. Look at Joel 3.17. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. Now what's interesting in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22, it talks about how earthly Mount Zion in Jerusalem was a shadow of the heavenly. What's my point? When he says, thou hast been on the mountain, the holy mountain of God, the Zion of God, it's showing you the access he had. And it also reveals that he was part of the government because holy mountain in the Bible is symbolic of the government. So he was, God bless you. So he was part of the government of God. He was a high official. I just told you he was a prophet. And notice what it says here. It says in Ezekiel 14, this is absolutely, it, it, it declare, it's revealing his access Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. The Bible says that Lucifer used to walk up and down the stones of fire, which are representative of the presence of God. Why do I say that? Because when the 70 elders of Israel went up to Mount Sinai with Moses, God opened their eyes and they saw God's throne with a paved set of stones of fire at his feet. Look at Exodus 24, 10. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stones, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. Notice the access. When the 70 elders of Israel went up with Moses to Mount Sinai, God showed him a vision, and they saw God's throne. They couldn't see above his waist, but they could see his feet. And what was at his feet were sapphire stones. And Ezekiel, God says, you walked up and down the stones of fire. There's no excuse for your falling. You had access. That's heavy. It's even furthermore, this one's going to blow your mind. His access to God, this is absolutely mind-blowing. Lucifer's access to God is even more further revealed in Ezekiel's description of him as the anointed cherub that covereth. The anointed, say the anointed cherub. This reveals that he had a higher access that was at least limited to only one other angel. Saying, how do you get that? Let me show you. God commanded Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant, that gold box, which contained three things. The Ten Commandment tablets contained the budded rod of Aaron, and it contained the golden pot of manna, for more specifics, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 20, it says, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. So we find that this Ark of the Covenant it had a lid called the mercy seat, which had two cherubim of gold facing each other on each end of the seat with their wings stretched forth, covering the mercy seat. Now, why is this fascinating? Because in Exodus 25, 9, God told Moses to build this because it was a shadow of things in heaven. In other words, this ark where the angels are covering this mercy seat was a picture of something in heaven. And we find out that what it's a picture of is the literal throne of God. The Ark of the Covenant with the two angels covering the throne is a picture of the angels that cover the throne of God in his presence. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, we see the actual 
the shadow was the ark. Isaiah 6, 1 is the actual. Do we have that audio? Okay, then I'll read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And they cried unto one another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when you see the literal throne room of God, there's these two angelic beings that cover their eyes so they're not looking at the presence of God, but they also cover the throne. Come on, talk to me. And the Ark of the Covenant shows this picture. Now watch this. He told Lucifer, you were the cherub that covered. In other words, what you see in the Ark of the Covenant is a representation of Lucifer before, he's, before his fall. He was one of two angels that literally covered the throne of God like this. Demonstrated. Only one other angel had axes like that, whoever the other angel was. And he was one of them. He said, you were the angel that covered. That's so fascinating. Now someone replaced him because in Isaiah 6, we see there's another angel that replaced him. But can you imagine what a place that is? You were the cherub that covered. You had access to the stones of fire. Your representation is on the Ark of the Covenant, but that's no longer you. You've been replaced. You've been fired. <laughs> I want you to think about that. The Bible says in verse 15 of Ezekiel 28 that that was perfect in that way. So he was one time perfect. In verse 15, it says, till iniquity was found in thee. Sin was born in the heart of Lucifer. Now, I'm going to show you something so controversial. I don't think you've ever heard this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 16 through 17. Why? Because so many people, when they teach on the fall of Lucifer, teach by tradition, not what the word says. Let's look at Ezekiel 28, verse 16 through 17. And what you're going to find out is Lucifer used this high position in God's government and brought destruction upon himself. Look at this. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. So the Bible says by the multitude of his merchandise, that's when he began to sin and he became violent. There's two interpretations of this. The first one you've all heard. A good example of this would be Earth's Earliest Ages by G.H. Pember. In it, he describes that the word devil means to slander. And so he uses this passage as a term that through him accusing the brethren um, that he became the devil. And most people teach pretty much that's what that means, but that's not a good definition of the word. Let me give you a second interpretation, and I think this will blow your mind and it will have a relevant interpretation today. My interpretation, I've not read this from a book. It was the love of money that brought down Lucifer. Did you hear what I said? What brought him down? The love of money. Lucifer, before his fall, was involved in a pre-Adamic economic system in which he controlled. Ezekiel 28.16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise. Ezekiel 28.16, the Amplified Version says, Through the abundance of your commerce. Ezekiel 28.16 in the NIV says, Through your widespread trade. The Bible, actually, if you look in Hebrew, it says, Through your banking skills. Whoa. See, do not assume to know everything in the heavenly realm or what was before. We tend to think like, you know, they just sat around and sang Jehovah Jireh. No, no, no. There were cities. There was even an economic system. According to the Bible, Lucifer is the one who started it with his wisdom. The and through his 
the, the merchandise and through the increase of his merchandise and through the increase of his banking, he became corrupt. That's fascinating. And in other words, I'm actually, as I'm giving you this revelation, it produces more questions than answers. Don't assume you know the economic system in heaven. Don't assume that you understand all the realms of different worlds of angels. Come on, talk to me. It was his love for financial gain. And I think this is really good to preach this at this time when so many of you are about to be blessed. Be careful. It was his love for financial gain that caused him to violently sin, the Bible says, fall and challenge God for the throne. Isn't it interesting that the Bible does say in 1 Timothy 6.10, that is the love of money, that is the root of what? All evil. Say what? All? Some evil? Part of the evil? No, the scripture says it is the root of what? All evil. There's no one more evil than Lucifer and Satan. And that was his problem too, the love of money. That wouldn't even make sense unless you go back and you see that he was over the commerce of the angelic beings. Fascinating. What's the application today? There's no doubt that the fractional reserve system in the United States is demonic. A satanic system. In fact, it goes all the way back to Nimrod Babel. And Nimrod was the first banker and used fractional reserve. And it was totally ran by Satan himself. Everyone knows that. He was a leader in witchcraft, Satanism. Nimrod, Semiramis, you all know those two people. <coughs> so he was a prophet. Literally, he also made prophet. Come on, P-R-O-F-I-T. Got him into trouble. He was also a priest. In Ezekiel 28, 18, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Notice the Bible says he defiled his sanctuaries. You can't have sanctuaries without being a priest. So he had sanctuaries. He actually had places of worship and he was the priest. Now it makes sense why the scripture I showed you in Exodus, why his garments were the same stones that the high priest wore. Go back to that. You, thank you. You're good. You see that breastplate? It was 12 stones. Why? Because each stone represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Why on his breastplate? Because he was commanded as the high priest to pray night and day for the 12 tribes of Israel, for the nation. Lucifer and his fallen had all those stones all over his garment. Whatever the system was, however the world was ran, because it was a reminder to him not to show off, but he was to pray for whatever he was over. And he did for a season. And where was the sanctuaries? Well, when he fell in Isaiah 14, which we're going to cover next week, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He didn't fall in heaven. The Bible says he fell on earth for he said, I will ascend up into heaven. If you're going to ascend, that means you're not there. And by the reason of his brightness, he corrupted his wisdom. So it was on earth. He had what? Sanctuaries? And you're going to learn from this 16-week series. I'm not giving it all in one day. There were cities. There were beings. There were even animals. And he had sanctuaries where he had worship. And he says, you corrupted your sanctuaries. You perverted the worship. Yeah, it is wild. Let's go to one more. Last one. He was also a king. By the way, let me make a reference to that priest. These terms are important because anybody who's a true teacher of the Lord will teach that these three offices have been given to the church. 
were prophet, priest, and king. Right? They're not true teachers. What's interesting, though, I want you to notice Lucifer had all these three titles in the dateless past when there was no time. In other words, all of us right now, we need to be remembering the people in our nation and praying for this nation like never before. That's the application. You are a priest. You are a prophet. You are a king. And you should be praying for this nation like never. If you got to wear a, a big watch or a diamond to remind yourself, you do it. Amen. Lucifer was a king. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it reveals this to us. It says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. Notice, Lucifer had a throne. You can't have a throne unless you're a what? King. See, most, see, when I was taught to follow Lucifer, I was taught he was a dinky little worship leader, and that was it. It went way beyond that. And then I also was taught that when, oh, by the way, if he had a throne, where was his throne? We are, again, let, let's use the same scripture. Isaiah 14 says, I will ascend into what? That means his throne was on what? Because he also said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So where are clouds? So watch this. Lucifer was literally king of the whole earth at one time. The whole earth. Isn't that bizarre? And three times Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. John 14, 30, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world, talking about Satan, cometh and nothing on me. John 6, 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. The word prince comes from the Greek word archon, where we get archangel, but it means first in rank, our power, chief, ruler, magistrate. So, what, why is that fascinating? So we learn that Lucifer, in the past, was literally the king of the whole earth. And Eden was part of his dwelling place. He sins. And God destroys the earth. Verse 2. And the earth became a desolation. And we'll look at more scriptures. I got tons more. We're just starting. And you know what's crazy? He actually turns off the lights for a season. There's two different verses where he, he actually says, stars stop shining for a season. I'm angry. And in his anger, he overturned mountains. I'll show you all these scriptures. So it's interesting because the first thing he does, he turns back on the lights. He says, let there be, because he had turned them off for a season in anger over Lucifer's sin. So he turns on the lights. And it's interesting because he spreads the, he, he makes the land appear, which means there was a flood. So there was a flood before Noah's flood. Come on, talk to me. If the whole land was covered, destroyed, it was a wasteland. And what does God do? He puts Adam and Eve in this garden called Eden. And everything that Lucifer was willing to lose, his throne, his position, everything, is now given to the man. Everything he had. And now he says, now you're the prophet, priest, and king. The earth is yours. Dominate it. Take it. And Lucifer will there. And now you begin to understand why he hates you so much. Because everything he lost, he gave it to you. Amen? Let's take it to another level. You know why he was willing to lose it? No, I'll share that next week. I can't let that go. I was about to give you, but let me give you another, but let me show you this. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it without giving you too much. The whole point is this. 
when he fell, God says, you're done. He says, you're done. He says, I'm going to use you for a purpose, but after that, I'm going to throw you into a lake of fire. Okay? So he knows, his, and he knows when his time is short, the Bible tells us that. So he had no redemption. Here's Adam. And Lucifer, out of hatred for that man, because he looks and he says, everything I lost, you now have. He says, I'm going to destroy you. And he gets him to, he gets him to destroy himself. Adam and Eve fell, right? And what does God do? Because I'm going to give you a second chance. And you can imagine, you didn't give me a second chance. What do you mean you're giving this guy a second chance? And there was something that Lucifer didn't understand. He gave man a second chance because the Bible says man is created a little bit higher than the angels. Ooh, come on, talk to me. Why? Because in man, he created after his own image. Lucifer, he says, I'm sorry, you're not in my image. I can't destroy myself. Did you just hear what I said? If I destroy the man, I'm destroying myself because he carries my image. So even more, he, even after he, he can't win because God says, oh, I'm redeeming that guy. You, you can go to hell. In fact, you are. And I'm going to use you to teach this man how to fight you. Learn how to be victorious. To him that overcometh, I will give. Man. I am so tempted to give you so much revelation, but I got 16 weeks. You don't want to miss one nugget because what it will do is not only will it show you his past, I got more stuff to show you that you've never seen. I, I guarantee it. But what it will do is because whatever was done in the past, the Bible says will be done in the future. So we're going to be looking at genetic engineering. I'm going to show you super soldiers. They're found in Genesis 6. Literally. We're going to look at the Nephilim. We're going to look at how they're trying to create ever. I mean, they're close to it where you don't die. This is part of the series. And I'm not going to tell you which one because each one we're going to be delving. We'll talk about his fall and then show a relevant fact and overcome it. Like today we talked about music. If you learn anything, learn that you need to be careful what you're listening to. Guard your heart and your mind. Next week, we're going to look at the fall of Lucifer. I'm going to show how he affects religion. And we're going to talk about the origin of Mormo, which is where the word Mormon comes from. Don't want to miss it. I trust, trust me, you will not find this because people don't even want to talk about it because it exposes too much of the inside. Next week, amen, let's stay in the house of God. Did you enjoy it tonight or today? Amen. It's going to be fun. If somehow you miss the service, every Thursday we would play it on our radio station. We have a 24-7 radio station. And you can listen to Sunday in its full play this Thursday. Or you can go with your radiant app and look at live streaming and replay the video version. Whatever you choose. But don't miss. If you miss and you have to do something, make sure you watch it or hear it later on in the Thursday evening. Amen? All right. I'd like to do two things. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you've never asked, you've never really totally surrendered to God and you'd like to do that today. Will you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. I need to surrender to him. If that's you, every one of us in this time had to do that at one time. Secondly, you love God, you're a Christian, but you've been struggling. Or maybe you're struggling with what I talked about today, music. And you may tell yourself, oh, you know, I'll go home and pray for myself. It don't work. 
Some things you need someone to lay hands on you because you're too bound. I was one of them. I was a Christian bound by heavy metal music. And you know what? Someone had to pray for me. And then I had to burn it all. I was already in ministry, saints. So I know what I'm talking about when I talk about. So if we if at this altar call, no one feels convicted about music, then I'm really in trouble because I know what it did to me. And so if there's anyone here that's struggling in that area, it, it seems like it's, it's, it, you're bound and you can't get over it. I would like you to come forward even right now. Just come forward. Let us pray for you. Let's pray and let's watch God break the bondage of that in your life. Thank you for an honest individual. I know there's a lot more of you bound by, by the devil's music than that. Or I'm preaching the wrong message. I'm getting the wrong application. Because so many of you are blasting that crap in your ears 24-7. Even at church, you can see just some of you might have been doing it right now in church with your little earphones Bluetooth. If that's you, you need to be delivered. Because Satan will beat you at that game. It is pleasurable for a season. But if you are bound by this pop culture and the music that's keep, I need you to come up right now. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Man, lay hands on them. Let's break the devil over their life. Let's get started. Listen, I don't want no one come to me after the service because I got a service tonight. You want deliverance, you come to the place right now. We have one of the most powerful men in deliverance, and I mean that literally, and he's here right now. This man traveled five years of Bob Lars, can cast the devil out. If you got problem, you need to come right now to this altar and watch God deliver you. And you say, Pastor, why are you taking so much time? Because I know what I'm talking about. And so many of you are like dumb sheep. Now I mean, yes, it is you. I'm talking to you. Oh, Pastor, I listen to the Beatles. Don't you know the Beatles were totally, totally into, um, what's that devil worshiper? Alistair Crowley. He's on the front page. I listen to old school. That stuff was possessed too. Alistair Crowley's on the front, on the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Heart Club Band album. And all their music was about rebellion and all about if there was no religion because they were Satanists. I know that's hard to hear. So whether it's old, well, pastor, I listen to Blueberry Hill. Well, listen to that song. I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. He's not talking about chocolate pies. What do you think that hill he's talking about? It was sexual and deviant. Tutti Fruity on Rudy. You know what that's about? I read the documentary and I heard him talk about it. About one girl after another, Tutti Fruity on Rudy. So even if you're old school, you still need to be delivered. That's why your mind's so nasty at 63. Tutti Fruity, I'm Rudy. Tutti Fruity. And you're, you're full of Tutti Fruity. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. I needed that laughter. In other words, you, you, you old school demon possess. You may, just because it's not like it is today, it still is the devil then. And I'm being a little funny, but at the same time, last call. That man standing there alone. If you need deliverance, I would suggest you come and say, Pastor, I'm bound. I need to be free. I'm going to give one more minute. And even though I'm over, I'm willing to do this because I'm tired of people being bound by the devil. I'm tired of people. Don't be a justifier. Don't say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is. Your mind is messed up. Your heart is messed up. And we need you to get delivered. Amen. Amen.
Amen. So none of the young people here need deliverance. None of you need deliverance. Thank you. Appreciate that. None of you need deliverance. You all blast that stuff more in your head. Stop. Stop the music. I want everyone to hear this. Stop. Stop the music. I want you to hear this. What you're telling me is this. It's not that you don't believe what I said. You just don't care. You don't care. I'd rather listen to the devil than hear you, preacher. I need to stop you so you hear that. Listen to what you're saying to me. I know what you said is true, but I'd rather keep the devil in my life than be delivered today. And if that is the case here, that's why we're in such a sad state of affairs in this church. Not just this church, around the world, not just picking on you. But I'm called to bring repentance to this nation. Amen? Amen. 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 In fact, I don't want any music played for the rest of the service because I want people to hear dead silence because that's what they're saying before God. F you. I'm not listening. I know that's strong. But I just want to make sure every one of you have a chance one more time. If that's not your issue, or it is your issue, come up. Let's pray for you. Why? Because next week I'm going to talk about different stuff. I won't hit this issue. I don't know when I'll hit this again. But I do know that it is such a problem in our country. That stuff you put in your head day and night. It's, you can't even become the person you want to become because you're so full of perversion. You're so full of the devil. Literally. Thank you. Thank you for coming up. Amen. Let's get them while they're young. And you know what? Don't give them a phone with the headphones until they're 20. Seriously. If I had to do it all over again, None of them, I'd wait till they were 20. Isn't it crazy? Steve Jobs, before he died, the creator of iPod, iPad, his sons were 17 and 16. They said, so are your kids happy to have it? He said, are you crazy? I wouldn't allow none of my kids to have that. Steve Jobs made billions of dollars of your kids having it. But before he died, he wouldn't let them have it. You know why? Because of the access to the pornography, the crazes. And he wasn't even a Christian. He was a Buddhist. He had more sense than most Christians. Amen. Musicians, just pray. Stretch forth your hands. Singers, pray. Sing. In your heart. <laughs> I'm tired of people being bound. If you're free, set, put your hand forward towards these people and pray for them. You can tell pastors in total serious mode. Because I'm tired of people coming to church bound. Father, we break the power of hell over these people. Father, let the power of hell be broken. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel the power of God all over him right now. Because God comes to a repentant heart. There it goes. Look at that power. Lord, we release that power. Purge her completely from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. Every devil come out in Jesus' name. We break its power over her life. Over these lives. There's some serious things going on. It's never too late. If God's conviction, you come up forward. If not, just agree with us. Father, we thank you. How many of you agree that it's time to get serious? Time to really get serious. Amen. I don't want to come here just to have church. That, that's boring. I want to see people free. 
delivered. And if you're still standing there, that doesn't mean you're not free. I'm not mocking you. Praise God. That means you are. You believe you are. Good. But if you're not, take advantage. Amen. If you're not free, come. Amen. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep praying for these people. I'm going to release you all. Don't forget tonight, we're going to get everyone filled with the bat. If you don't speak in tongues, you better get your buddy here tonight. If you don't speak in tongues, be here tonight. The Holy Spirit woke me up and said, do not do another code breaker until you get this house filled with the Holy Ghost. So come tonight. Be ready. Get ready to be filled. God bless you, sweetheart. Amen. So I'm going to pray for you and dismiss you. And don't forget, next week's going to be awesome. But we're going to confront the enemy. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about Mormonism, a little bit for about 10 minutes. So bring some Mormons. Amen. Praise God. Get them delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you all. Now you can play. Go ahead. Now you can play. Play me some nice music, Josh. Father, we just come into your presence and we thank you for everything that you're doing and that you've done in this service. Father, I praise you and I thank you. And I pray that every person in this place would have peace in their heart, that they'd walk in repentance. I love you. And I love this place. I love these people, Lord, that you gave me. I don't want one of them lost. I don't want one of them lost. Make me bold. Make this church a habitation of your spirit. Touch every person in this place. I want to give one last admonition. Listen to me closely. Never did I say every secular music is demonic. You understand that, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be careful what you are, what. I don't want no one leaving. Oh, pastor said we got to burn everything. That's not what I said. Not all music is evil, but we need to be more careful what we are listening to. Do you understand? I just want to say that so no one misunderstands me. Father, I thank you and I bless them all in Jesus' name. Can you greet five people and give them a big handshake and let them know how much you love them?